a few weeks ago, I came home and I found this book on our uh, kitchen table. Vicki had checked it out from the library. It's called For the Glory, and it's the story of uh, Eric Little. And I don't know if you remember Eric Little. He was that uh, Olympian who uh, won in the 440-yard run in 1924 Paris Olympics, and the story was made famous by Chariots of Fire. In fact, we have a little clip from Chariots of Fire here. This will refresh your memory. So I stole her book, which I do frequently when she brings home a good book. She's okay with that. Um, and I've been reading this book, and uh, I, it's, it's interesting to read the real story about Eric Little. The movie was good, but it, you know, like the movie, it, it shortens everything and, and doesn't give you the complete story. Um, actually, um, he was scheduled to run the 100-yard dash in the Olympics, in the 220. And uh, the original heats, or the beginning heats for those two runs were on Sunday. And so he, he knew this months ahead of time, and he opted out, and they decided to work with him, and so he ended up going uh, from a 100-yard uh, dash runner to a uh, 440-yard runner, and he actually trained in, for a few months before he did it in the Olympics, and he became a stud at running that distance. And so he wins the 440, and, and then he has this platform uh, to speak from, and he was a super popular uh, speaker in churches. This, this was a radical guy for Jesus Christ. I mean, he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he wouldn't run the heats on Sunday uh, afternoon at that time. He, they, they thought that was really wrong, sinful to do that kind of thing on a Sunday. And so um, he gets all these speaking engagements. He goes all over Britain and, and um, Scotland and speaks to the all kinds of churches and gatherings there about Christ. Eventually, he heads over to China as a uh, missionary, and he dies uh, in, in China um, kind of in a uh, tragic way. Uh, I haven't got to that part in the book yet, though, so at any rate. Uh, but here's why I bring up a story at all this morning, because it's a great uh, introduction to today's topic on dealing with tough topics. Um, so he runs the Olympics in the 19, uh, 1924, and the book talks about the 1920s and what's going on and how World War I had affected people. Listen to what it said there. I'm going to quote this right from the book. It's called For the Glory. Here's what's said. The church sorely needed Eric Little. As the war had begun, church service numbers swelled because people sought comfort. After the war ended, attendances eroded slowly then drastically. Some soldiers became agnostic, uh, criticizing passive religious leaders for not doing enough to end a slaughter sooner. In the search for solace, spiritualism became an alternative to the church. The bereaved relied on seances, uh, Ouija boards, and clairvoyance to, uh, in attempts to communicate with the dead. As the 1920s rolled on, it was estimated that only 15 out of 100 uh, people went to church service in Britain. A.J.P. Taylor summed up the general attitude in the Oxford History of England. Um, the dogmas of revealed religion, the incarnation, and the resurrection were fully accepted by only a small minority. Our Lord Jesus Christ became, even for many avowed Christians, merely the supreme example of a good man. Sound familiar? Sounds like our age, doesn't it? Um, this was a, as great as a happening as any in English history since the conversion of the Anglo-Saxons to Christianity. The moderator of the assemblies of the Scottish churches was more candid still. The church, he said, stood at the crossways with signposts somewhat obliterated. So, the war had messed these people up. This tragic thing had really derailed some people from their faith. We don't like war, do we? We have songs. 
war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. No one I talk to says war is a good thing. And we're in week three now of our unshakable uh, faith in an unsteady world series. And for a few moments today, we're going to look at having faith in the face of tough topics. And what I'm going to use as an example of a tough topic is war in the Old Testament. What do you do with that topic? What do you do with a God who used war as a means to fulfill his will, seemingly so, in the Old Testament? Um, But here's what I want you to do. Don't get so caught up on the topic as on the methodology I'm going to share with you on how to deal with a tough topic. Because that transcends whatever the tough topic matter is. And that's my goal today, is to get us to be people who know how to face tough things in life and come out the other side with our faith deepened, not destroyed. Because tough topics so frequently derail people from their faith. And so today's message is by no means an attempt to address, in depth even, the topic of war, okay? Just so you know that. Rather, my goal is to give you an example of how to deal with such a thing in your life in a way that strengthens you rather than tears you down. Um, Specifically, what I'm referring to today is, is some people will look at the Old Testament and they'll think, man, God looks violent and kind of cruel in the Old Testament and kind of harsh. But over in the New Testament, it's Jesus, and he looks loving and kind and compassionate. But you've got to remember, Jesus, he had his moments, right? He didn't like the Pharisees. He, he spoke pretty bluntly to them. I, I guess when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you end up dead, That happened in the New Testament. So it's not like one or the other here. People tend to do this a little bit selectively. Um, But let me give you a second century example of what I'm just sharing with you. In the second century, a man named Marcion said, there was an irreconcilable gap between the loving God, Jesus, of the New Testament and what he termed, this is his language, the cruel and violent God of the Old Testament. He had such a hard time with what he saw was this great disparity that he threw out the Old Testament. He said it didn't apply, and he was just a New Testament person. So let me ask you a question. Do you think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament? Not a trick question. You could say no. No, absolutely not. So how do we put the two together? And is there really even any inconsistencies here? So I want to talk with you on that a bit this morning. But remember, my goal today isn't to get too deep into the topic of war in the Old Testament as much as it is to give you a methodology on dealing with tough topics, tough matters in your life. So we're going to return to the story of the Israelites. Under the leadership of Joshua who was the former aide of Moses, under the leader of Joshua. They've crossed the Jordan River. They piled up in a heap. Remember when the priest stepped in the water, piles up in a heap, they cross over on dry land, and they're now entering into the promised land of Canaan. And they're supposed to take the land as God has ordained. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, they were given some instructions on how to take this land. Let me read this to you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them how? 
totally. It's kind of harsh when you say. There's got to be some perspective there that we don't understand. Just hold on to that thought. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in, in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So, there's no sugarcoating this scripture. We shouldn't even do that. There's some tough things said here, right? And instead of sugarcoating them, we should say, God, what's going on? I don't understand. But we'll get to that uh, uh, later on. Um, but what happens is some of the stuff becomes uncomfortable to think about. Uh, and we don't do justice to what was really transpiring. Totally wipe out these people. They're real people. We make up songs sometimes about things in the Bible that are tough, that we don't really want to deal with. I remember one song that was kind of popular when I was uh, younger, and my kids even knew, knew it. I don't know if you know it. It's about the flood that happened during Noah's time, where it says, now, the Lord, the Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody, right? Do you remember the song? No, you guys are so young. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy. Still not ringing the bell, is it? Well, we have a, a little animation for you. That'll help you not know it even more if you don't know it. I, I looked this up on YouTube. I just had to last week. 850,000 people have looked at that thing. Uh, and uh, so many comments were, oh, we love this song. It's one of our favorites. We sing it to our kids and all that kind of stuff. And you, you know, of course, you don't want to scare your kids with the reality that God uh, drowned everybody <laughs> at that time. That's what Noah's flood is for. In fact, you don't want to go to your five-year-old daughter and say, hey, honey, let me tell you the story of Noah. God killed everybody by the flood. She'll never take a bath again, right? You should be afraid of water. But there comes a time when we don't want to sugarcoat what God is telling us. Instead, we want to look at it and say, all right, what does this tough topic mean? How do I deal with it in such a way that it deepens my faith, doesn't destroy my faith? But we don't want to sing floody, floody, muddy, muddy, arky, arky, and forget it, unless your kid's like three, okay? Um, so, for the sake of faith today... I think it's good to begin to look at how to hit a tough topic head on. So I'm going to give you an approach to tough topics. This is an approach. Remember, that's what we're doing here so that you can put your own topic matter in here and deal with it uh, in a way where you come out the other side strengthened in your faith, not weakened in your faith. So first of all, seek to understand it biblically. Seek to understand it biblically. In the case of, uh, of why did God use war with Joshua and gang to drive out you know, the, the Canaanites, get clarity on the subject matter of war in that case. What it was it about? Uh, why was God using it? Frequently, when we look at a, a tough topic, we're confused by all kinds of misinformation. Do you know there's a lot of misinformation out here right now? You can go to the Internet, and I like to say it's the collaboration of the confused. It's the collective ignorance of many people. 
You know, it doesn't mean it's right. People write long things, and just because it's in written form and on the internet doesn't mean it's true, right? And oftentimes I say what we don't want to do is begin to be a collection of the ignorant, sharing our ignorance together. So what we want to do as people of God is always look at our tough topic biblically. Biblically, be ruthless in that regard. For instance, the term holy war, not used in the Bible, not used in the Bible, War in the Old Testament is distinctly different from the idea of jihad. That would be holy war as some extreme Muslims would, would, would use it. That is not war in the Old Testament. Soldiers of jihad are taught martyrdom is good, it's to be desired, and if you're martyred, you get to go to paradise and spend eternity with 72 virgins. I always wonder, what did the virgins do to deserve that? But at any rate, no one laughed at it the first two hours. You guys are consistent. So um, that wouldn't be paradise for them. But here's the thing. Martyrdom is never, ever promoted in the New Testament or the Old Testament. It says we may be martyred, but that's by others to us, standing up for the cause of Jesus Christ, right? But we're not supposed to seek it and try to have it happen to us. God loves life. He loves people, and he's the giver of life. He knows our beginning from our end. He's the author of, of life and when life should end, not, not us. Amen? All right? So this is not in, in the Bible, and we just have to be ruthlessly biblical. Um, so was Marcion at all right? Is, 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 is God in the Old Testament cruel and violent? Is, is, is he the source of violence? I'd say no, absolutely not. Where did violence come from? Us. The sinfulness of people. In fact, violence war is a result of the fall. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of our sinfulness. And we see the first act of violence happen right after the fall of mankind. You have the fall of mankind in, in Genesis chapter 3. And then you go to Genesis chapter 4 and you read the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel gives a better sacrifice to the Lord than Cain, his brother. And Cain is jealous. And Cain gets so upset with Abel. What does he do to Abel? He kills him. There's your first act of violence right there. Where did it come from? What's the source of violence? Biblically speaking, our sinfulness. Our waywardness from God. That's the source of violence. God's not violent. God's not the source of violence. In fact, God says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, the earth was so corrupt in his sight, so full of violence, so God said, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence. So God was saying, I can't take this violence. I can't take what's going on here. We're going to have a redo. We're going to have a start over. So violence is deeply disturbing to God. This is getting a biblical understanding of the, 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 the topic matter of war and violence and all that kind of stuff, okay? God is deeply disturbed by violence. Now, we have to understand the ancient Israelites, they lived in a culture of violence, I want to do an exercise with you. There's not as many of you as like last hour or first hour, so you can participate more with me. I want to talk to you about spring. And I don't mean spring spring. I mean the season spring, fall, winter, spring. So when the season spring comes upon us, what thoughts come to your mind? You want to just blur them out? What do you think of when you think of spring? Baseball? Yes! You're the first one. That was on my list. Anyway, baseball. What else? Flowers, things come to life. You get green grass, you have flowers. Right after the dreary winter, you see all this new life. Isn't that cool? Tulips especially. I lived in Pella for years, and so spring to me is always full of tulips. 
Anybody else? Allergies. <laughs> There's always got to be a downer in every group. <laughs> Except if you have allergies, you love winter, don't you? Yes, I have several of those in my family. Winter is a, is a reprieve from allergy season. Okay, I didn't think of that one. Any other things come to mind? Sunshine. What's that? School gets out. Didn't think of that one either. Another reason spring is great. All right, I thought of things like farmers planting, getting their fields put in, gardeners getting out into the garden, vacation starts happening because the weather's nice. Being a Minnesota boy, you go to the lake because the water's not frozen anymore. And all these things kind of happen in the springtime. It's a, it's a glorious time. I love spring. It's my favorite season other than fall. <laughs> Fall's number one with me because it just seems really nice and, and it just, I like the weather, but I love spring. Now, listen, if you were an ancient Israelite and spring would roll around, guess what you would think of? It's time of war. Here's why I say that. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So part of the cycle of the year for the Israelites was wartime. Spring was wartime. That would kind of wreck spring, wouldn't it? If you're a student and they say for spring break, we're going to go off to war, that would not be fun. War, you know, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And it would wreck this season. But they were in a cycle of violence, in a cycle of war. This was the culture that these folks lived in. And you know what? We're no better now. We still live in so, many, so much violence. Um, years ago, I was reading in National Geographic. I think I was bored and at a doctor's office or something. So I started reading this National Geographic. And in this National Geographic, there was an interview with a man from Afghanistan. And... He's shown there holding an axe with a big grin on his face. And he said, I have used this to decapitate 1,300 people. I still remember everything. What? And, and he was, and, and an article said he laughed about it. Now, who knows if that's truly accurate and if he was exaggerating for the interview. But I thought, we are a violent people. We just live in this culture of violence still. So what do you do with tough topics? Where do you start? You get biblical, first of all. You, what does the Bible say on that topic matter? When it comes to violence, we know that God's not the author of violence. And when it comes to uh, uh, violence, we know God doesn't like it even. All right? So he can't like war. You get what I'm saying here? He can't think this is a good device. Now, we just need to do this in all areas of of. of of tough matters. I remember years ago, this is probably about 12 years ago now, my mom had uh, glioblastoma, uh, that's cancer of the brain. And she had two golf ball sized cancer uh, nodules in her left hemisphere of her brain. At any rate, she had them removed, she wasn't doing very good. And if you get glioblastoma, if you, read, you go home and read this on the internet, you have basically a year to live or less. They, they say with a 100% exception, they just, you just don't recover from it. And so she did the surgery, and she was doing miserably. And I'd been praying for her and visiting her frequently at uh, Mercy Medical Center there in the Twin Cities. And I asked the church to be praying for her and all that kind of thing. And I remember going back and having a lady meet me in the foyer of the church. And I think she was well-intentioned. But she said to me, if you have enough faith, your mom would be healed. 
yes, I had, my fist started clenching. <laughs> At any rate, and she, she went on to say this with all sincerity, and I said, whoa, stop right there. Now, normally, I'm going to tell you this. I have people say wrong things to me all the time. I know they're biblically wrong, and I choose frequently just to walk away from it because I don't want to argue. And I, I'm practicing what I call the discipline of not having the last word, even when I feel like I'm right. Because I'm right. oftentimes it doesn't matter. But this one mattered to me. It was very personal, and it felt like an attack on me as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I turned to her, and I said, okay, if we're going to talk, let's talk. What do you do with the scripture that says the lifespan of people is 70 years, 80 if by strength? My mom's 73. What do you do with that scripture? We all die of something. We all die at some point, right? Heart attack, uh, cancer, uh, something. We die, right? Is this not plain? And I looked at her and said, my mom's 73. She's already lived the 70 years that God has ordained and promised. It's 80 by strength. So don't throw that at me. If I take you, you're, you're saying here to this logical end, we should never die or we lack faith. Right? Think through what you're saying. It sounds great. If we have faith, we should be healed. Now, I believe God heals. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do miraculous things. But there comes a day where it's our day. It's like Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. So I was saying to you, you've got to have all this in balance. Don't just throw something out at somebody and ambush them with a partial theological truth. You'll kill them. And I was that blunt with her. Because I thought, I don't want you going around doing this to other people. Now my father-in-law just had brain surgery this week. He had a mass in the cerebellum. And I spent much of the week there with them. And they got it. They removed it. It's like a miracle. He's 80 years old. And, I mean, the scar in the back of his head is like seven inches. It's gross. But they got it out. And he was sitting up the next, you know, Friday after surgery, talking, moving his hands. Moving. I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, this, this is a miracle. Because it was deep in the cerebellum. You know what that is, right? Some of you who are biologically astute, that's in the middle of your brain. And so I'm looking at him. I'm going, God, I can't figure you out. And maybe that's part of the nature of tough issues. We can't figure them out. We can't make them into a formula. And my mom passed away from hers because I think it was God's time. John, God has ordained for him to have some more time, right? And part of dealing with a tough issue is to get biblical and have all the Scripture factoring into how you look at that subject matter, okay? And so, so first of all, when you're looking at a tough topic, look at it how? Biblically. Secondly, Know the heart of God. Know the heart of God. What's the heart of God when it comes to wickedness and to cruelty and to violence? That will give us a, a perspective uh, on, on how to even look at the topic of war as God was using it in Joshua and Gang's case to displace the uh, Canaanites. Um, insight is gleaned from the Old Testament. I won't even go to the New Testament. I'm going to use the, the, the Old Testament, the one that Martian threw out. Because he said it was, it, was, it was about a God who was violent and cruel. Listen to what Ezekiel 33, 11 says. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you see the heart of God here? How is the heart of God when it comes to wickedness and evil? He says, turn to me. He pleads. He pleads. And so God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy it. 
He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He'd rather have them turn from their wicked ways and, they, and live. So God's heart is that none should perish, but all should find salvation in Jesus Christ. So when looking at a topic like war or judgment or violence, you just need to know the heart of God. It helps set the perspective of the discussion. Another scripture that reveals the heart of God is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. And I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation of the Bible because I just like how it says it here. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And your version, you know, may say they are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when dealing with a tough topic, first of all, know it what? Biblically. Understand the biblical scriptures that speak to that topic. Then know the heart of God. Know the heart of God. Who is he? How is he uh, revealed in, in, in context of that tough topic? And now you're ready for the real question, the key question, uh, and it's this. It's point number three. Ask God, what are you up to? What are you up to? Don't question who God is. Don't question his nature, but rather question, what are you doing? What am I supposed to be learning? Um, what are you revealing here uh, by this tough situation that I'm facing? Now, in the case of Joshua and Israel um, and why they were doing what they were doing to the Canaanites, it's revealed all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 what God was up to oh, in, in, in regards to totally eliminating uh, the Canaanites. Uh, let me go back to that scripture and read that to you. Um, Genesis 15, verse 16, and, and God was speaking to Abraham, and he said, your, your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years, and, and then they're going to come back to this land, this land of Canaan, and take it back. So here's what he says in verse 16 specifically. In that fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full what? Measure. So the back here is, Abraham, after your descendants have been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, they're going to come back to this land of Canaan. I'm going to give it back to them, and they're going to displace the Canaanites. The Amorites were one of the Canaanite groups because at that point, their sin will have reached what? It's full measure. So here's what is being revealed. Here's what's up with this. Here's where the question, what are you up to, God, gets answered. It's this. There is a time when God says enough. He says enough, and he will judge evil. That's what we're supposed to get. When we really dive into what's going on here, why did God say totally displace this people group? Why did God tell Joshua, Joseph, or Joshua excuse me, and the Israelites to take these people and get rid of them because their time of judgment had come upon them? Their sin had reached its maturity, and there's a time when God says enough. And we have to understand this when it comes to this kind of stuff in the Bible. By the way, that's why God did the pronouncement of Deuteronomy 7. Okay? Because it was the time of the ites, I call it. Their time was up. But you have to get this. God has a perspective we just don't have. Amen? He has a perspective we just don't have. And when you get to these really tough topics in the Bible, at times you're humanly going, I don't get it, I don't understand it. You have to say, God, I get you and I understand you. And you have a perspective I just don't have. And I have to trust that you're a good God, that you're for people, not against people, 
And when you judge, you judge righteously. And you have given these folks probably multitude times, and your mercies are new every morning. And they have come to that point of no return. You know what's going to happen at the end of the age? What? Revelation. What does it talk about? Second coming of Jesus Christ, where God will say, that's it. Judgment will now be happening, and you, you need to know Jesus Christ. Amen? But there's a time coming where judgment will be what is the mode of operation for God. So I, I have to share this, but I want to share it with real tenderness and love, okay? But I want to share this because we have to get the full-orbed understanding of what's going on with the Canaanites. We're told over in Leviticus chapter 18 that they had even got to the point where they're sacrificing their children to the god of Moloch. And they often did that by fire. They were, they, were, they were getting to this point where they're giving up their children as sacrificial uh, elements to this false god of Moloch. And it just seems that when a culture or society gets to that point, God says, judgment's going to follow that. Judgment's going to follow that. And that should cause you and I to have some concern. Shouldn't it? We label it differently in our country. And I know if some of you have had an abortion, God loves you. And oftentimes women do this out of desperation and they don't see an alternative. And then they spend a lot of time feeling super guilty. And a guy like me can say up stand up and say how wrong it is and they go home just feeling like two inches high. I don't want to do that. Because if you had an abortion, God does love you. And there is great restoration for you. And you need to come to him and you need to cling to him and he will forgive you. Oftentimes there's a man that's absent in that situation and he's just as guilty. But get this, as a nation, we can't be endorsing this kind of stuff. It breaks the heart of God. God loves people. He loves children. And when culture begins to take the weakest and the vulnerable among us and kill them, that breaks the heart of God. Amen? And we need to learn that lesson as part of learning this lesson of what's going on with the Canaanites and stuff. Getting the full orb of understanding. So instead of having this hang up and saying like, Martian, God, you're so violent and so cruel. When you really begin to dive in this topic, you begin to say, oh, I see. You hate violence, actually. And it's because of the Canaanites' sinfulness and rejection of you over and over and again and because they were sacrificing their children to Moloch and, and all this stuff had gotten to the point of no return. Oh, that's why you bring, okay. And all of a sudden you have a little different take on it, don't you? And that's the reason you want to dig into tough topics biblically, know the heart of God, and then ask what's up. So here's our conclusion today. Instead of allowing a tough topic to create doubt and fear, ask God to use it to deepen your faith. Instead of having it destroy your faith, it should be a deepening agent for your faith. Um, even in the story of Joshua going into uh, this promised land and leaving the Israelites into this promised land, we see that God doesn't really show favorites. So, so if you just read like this, the account of, 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 of Joshua and gang in, in the book of Joshua, okay, you might think, well, God, you really like Israel, Right? And you just don't seem to like these other people. Why not? But even in the book of Judge, uh, Joshua, there's some understanding of who God is and how he works, okay? So, so you have to begin to really read things closely and biblically and, and with a desire to have your faith deepen because even in, in, the, in the book of, of Joshua, chapter 5, we see some really deep revelation about the person of God. It's found in 
in, in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. You probably wondered what the sword was about. Nice sword, huh, Luke? Yeah, look at him. He's, now he got his attention. He's standing there with a drawn sword. And Joshua went up to him and asked, because they live in a culture of violence, they live in a culture where you go to war during springtime, they're warring people, are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua asks a logical question, right? He sees this man with a sword drawn and he says, hey, who are you for, them or us? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So (laughs) this would get your attention. You're walking along and all of a sudden there's this guy standing there with a big old honking sword. And the natural question would be in that culture, are you for me or against me? Am I going to have to do battle with you or not here? That's what basically Joshua is asking. And he says, I'm neither for you nor against you. I am commander of the Lord's army. I am for or against nobody. I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And what does Joshua do? He falls down and he, in reverence. And he says, okay, what's the message from God to me? I want to be on God's side, essentially, he's saying here. See, God is not on anybody's side. God understand that. He's not a genie in a bottle that a certain group of people get to massage the bottle and tell them to do what they want them to do. He's not the magic potion to, to get your way or whatever. Um, he, he's not a special weapon for a certain group of people. He is a God who's impartial. So when you really begin to dive into this whole topic of war and you really begin to ask God what's up and you begin to search out the scriptures and you have an open heart, don't you come away with a lot of different insight? See what I'm getting at here? Tough topics aren't bad. They're God's tool to get us a deeper, to a deeper walk in Him. And sometimes we do the song thing. And God said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy, into the arky, arky, you know. And we, we, we miss out entirely on a grand opportunity to have our faith deepen. So I want to end with this question to you today. What is your tough topic? What is your tough topic in your life right now? Will you look at it biblically? Will you understand the heart of God concerning that? And will you say, God, what's up? Your tough topic might be the death of someone you love dearly. And you wonder, what God, why did you take him home? Will you look at it biblically? Will you understand the heart of God? Will you ask God, what do you want to do in my life concerning that topic matter? It may be that you think hell seems too harsh. I talked to a lot of Christians who, who don't like hell. They, they, they sometimes become nihilists, even unintentionally thinking, well, God surely wouldn't do that. Hell just doesn't even exist. And that's very heretical, by the way, in, in Christianity. It's not very orthodox. So you have to ask, okay, God, biblically, what do you say about hell? What's your heart? You don't want anyone to go there, right? What's up with to me? I better take this Jesus thing seriously. And my friend shit, I should be serious about this thing. And you can go through all the tough topics kind of in that simple way. Biblical, heart, what's up? So you may wonder about suffering or poverty or disabilities. Biblical, heart of God, what's up? You know what I've learned about people with disabilities? A lot. Oftentimes, they're not striving like you and me to be perfectionists 
They don't need to do anything. They're just being, and they're okay with that. And that tells me a lot about our relationship with God. I don't do things to earn favor with God. I, I have favor with God simply because Jesus Christ and I'm his beloved son. It's the most freeing thing for an overachiever ever, amen? To just say, God, ah, I just, you love me. It's so good. Some of you are definitely more overachievers than me too. You need to hear that. And then we can look at other tough topics, the, the political climate right now in that country. We can say, what's up with that, God? And how do I know your heart and, 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 and all that? We can look at tough topic matters like same-sex marriage or what do we do with um, you know, <clears throat> divorce or what do we do with uh, 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 you know, abuse or what do we do with you know, anything you can think of. You can throw cancer in there. You can throw all What do we do with these things? How do we look at them biblically? What's the heart of God? What's he trying to do? What's up in my life? And if you do this, I tell you what, you take the tough, mat, a tough topic and it becomes a deepening agent that God uses to grow you up in your, in your holy faith. So listen, Grace Point, we are not people of fear. We are not people of, of, of hopelessness. We're people who love God, amen, and we have great faith in him. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's who we are and God will take these tough things in life, and if you look at them biblically, understand the heart of God, and ask what's up in my life, he will deepen you in your, in your faith. Amen? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to close with song. Um, if you want to have some personalized prayer, you can always head over here to that prayer team sign, and someone will meet up with you and pray at the end of service. Would you bow your heads, please? Oh, God, I want to thank you for today. I was dreading this message first hour. Now I kind of look forward to a third hour. I don't know what the switch is or what the deal is. But I want to thank you, God, that uh, you work even in times that are hard. And perhaps in times that are hard is where you work most. And so I want to pray for anyone that's dealing with a tough uh, topic today, uh, some tough issue in their life, that they wouldn't be destroyed by that, but rather their faith would be deepened by it. Grace them to look at it biblically, Lord, and to be ruthless in that regard, to throw out any myths or things that sound biblical but aren't biblical but to really search out your scriptures to know what you have to say on the matter and then God may we just know your heart lately as I've been reading your word God and I pray this becomes an exercise for a lot of people in here I've been saying show me your heart God show me your heart and you're this God who loves you're this God full of mercy and grace and power you do judge there are times you say is enough and we have to take you seriously. And, and there's all these things about you, God, that are so revealing of your heart. And if we knew that about you, a lot of our questioning of you would just go away. And may we quickly get to the point when we're dealing with a tough uh, topic where we ask, God, what are you up to in my life? How do you want to deepen my faith? How do you want to grow me up? How do you want me to understand you in a new, richer, fuller way? I, I just pray, God, that would be us as people. Biblical, seeking after your heart and asking what's up. And I just pray that all the tough things that come our way, Lord, would go through that kind of a filter. We love you, Jesus. I, I just am so grateful for the people of Grace Point. Bless on them today. Would you be mighty in their lives? Do more than we can ask for or hope or even imagine. Uh, great is the Lord, and may we just praise you, and may there just be an abundance of joy in our hearts because we serve you. Now as we complete this message uh, and time with song, would you just be magnified, Jesus, I pray.